Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to another episode of the Marvel's World podcast. Podcast where we speak to tantalizing and scrumptious individuals. People with unique insights will make people like you and me make what we love a full-time job. In this episode, I want to say one thing. Please give us a review on iTunes and share it with your friends. If you don't like it, share it with everyone you hate. In this episode, we speak to an absolute comedy dynamo of Mistress Great. She is a force of nature and hilarity. One of the most awesome guests I've had on the podcast. She is a natural born hilarity. She is a fully fledged dominatrix and stand up comedian. Let's just say she has a ton of material which she doesn't have to work to find. She it was she's just hilarious. We also talk about um another thing we also talk about is her experience of going from the Boston scene into the LA comedy scene. Talk about various different setups, how to regress over in the LA scene, and how she does not give a toss if people like her. We'll talk about how, yeah, it's 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 an interesting time at the moment. Uh, I think for everyone. Uh, all, all I want to say is she is a comedy dynamo. Listen to the podcast and enjoy. Let's speak to Mistress K. Not too bad. How are you, how are you keeping? Like, what's What's been happening? Um, I mean, I live in California, so the, the numbers of coronavirus cases have been going up daily. So it's kind of business as usual. Everybody's just wearing masks now. So. Ah, but I mean, I want to say one thing. I mean, your name, Mistress K, is quite an awesome stage name. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're in LA, so I mean, like, must be, must be, must be time at the moment. It's been very interesting, to be honest. Uh, you know, um, being in comedy, like everything shut down, and now it's just starting. People are just starting to come out of the woodwork, you know, and do shows again. But um, I don't know; it's not the same, you know. And all the comics are rusty. So nobody came out like still like having the juice. You know, everybody's trying to get back on their their feet again with telling jokes and whatnot. Yeah, it's the same here. I've, but I feel with hosting, that's easier to get sharpened up to than doing a set. Yeah, everybody's been doing those Zoom shows and I'm just like, no. Like... <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to be a storyteller and just like, you know, talk on camera. 
with no audience. And some clubs um, have been doing like laugh tracks in the background for mm. comics. So they'll tell a joke and the place will actually put the laugh track in the background. And I'm just like, yeah, no. <laughs> Ooh, that's quite punchinizing. Yeah, because it's the same laugh track. Like it's the same bit of laugh. So it's not like different types of laughs or like an octane higher, an octane lower. It's like the same. <laughs> it's mad. Uh, so you're in LA, but was it was it a place that did you start in LA or did you build your career up in like other small cities? Uh, so I'm from Boston originally. I live in Massachusetts. And then, um, you know, I was selling sex toys, working out of a dungeon, beating guys up for money, you know, and then uh, everybody was like, you're just so funny. You should just tell jokes and like, you know, put your whip and dildo down and so I do occasionally and tell jokes, but I'm still doing that out here. <laughs> so is that your opening bit for jokes that you say, right, this is how I got into comedy, guys? Uh, I mean, sometimes, not always. Sometimes it just come out with like a strap on on or like a whip and just like start my set that way. <laughs> well, at least you've always got a weapon to defend yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Although I never get messed with. Like, no one ever tries to, like, mess with me or say anything inappropriately. They're always very afraid of me. Well, one thing I do want to ask. So you said that you used to get paid beating people up. But, I mean, that just sounds like you're the ultimate model for feminism against misogynist men. <laughs> that statement there. If you, it sounds like a superhero thing. Like if someone's bothering anyone, don't worry, I'm here to save you. Hello? Did you get that? Yeah. Did you get that? Did I freeze? Yes. <laughs> oh. Um, I mean, like, yes, I agree with that. Uh, I also feel bad for them because I know that they could have probably got that at home if they had just asked for it. That's... <laughs> Which means they could have done it at home. Yeah, well, I used to have a client where um, I'd see him every two weeks and he just wanted me to like kick him in the balls or punch him in the balls until they were blue. Whoa. Yeah. About balls. <laughs> yeah. And then he, like, it was like a, it was like a release for him. And then, cause he had all this like trauma and uh, I was just like, I'm helping people. I'm really helping people. <laughs> and I felt great too, because I had got all my like frustrations like from the week before out on this poor man. <laughs> God. <laughs> People are into some really interesting things, you know? So. I want to get on and cover this. So how, so your job officially, what is it? Like a dominatrix, is that, is that your job? Yeah, I mean, that's the terminology. I'd like to say, um, you know, personal 
pleasure consultant, I guess I would like rather be called. <laughs> Cause not everything that I did was just like violent. Um, you know, it was just like, there's a lot of things that go into like the BDSM and King community that people are really into. And, Ooh. um, I think it's just easier to pay for it for a service than to like ask somebody that you're dating or that you're really interested in to do those things, you know, cause there's no pressure with me. It's like, I've, you know, heard, heard the majority of what people like. So Ooh. Rarely ever do I get starstruck or like, oh my goodness, I've never heard of that before. It's just like, oh, okay, like that's cool. So I've got two questions to ask there. Um, so you must, so you wear, you, I'm going to quote this, you, you rarely get starstruck. So I'm guessing there must be an occasion where you have been starstruck and I would like to hear about it. And number two, so what is the job title specifically? What is it? I just want to know. Well, I mean, the correct terminology would be dominatrix, but I like to call myself a pleasure consultant because I would like, I like to think that I give pleasure and not only just pain because <laughs> there's that thin line, you know? Um, yeah. I also feel like there's just so many like negative connotations with dominatrix that like when you know you say that it's almost like i don't know it's underground or it's like wrong and i don't think anything <laughs> that I've done is wrong um especially when people have given me consent for um so i i kind of don't like that terminology but it's it's the easiest one to use because when i say it everybody knows exactly what it means and um yeah so I use that, but I, I haven't, like, when I say starstruck, it's most like I've been caught off guard. Um, and I think the one time that I was ever caught off guard was I was asked to um, fart in this man's face <clears throat> for an extended period of time. And um, I was just like, I never heard of this as like a kink. And... <laughs> <laughs> that I looked into it. And apparently there's this huge community of like people that are just really into uh, smells and and being humiliated with smells. Oh, God. Oh, God that is, well, I mean, at least they, at least they, get, they get a good nose for things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is exactly. I think it's more the humiliation of it happening to you rather than the actual smell. Um, but I could be wrong. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, you must have an oath of material. Like you must have like a whole five, 500-year logbook of material. Like some comedians have to sit down and write about it. You can oh, be yeah. just the next weird client, boom, you're in my set. I have a ton of stuff. And then I usually have like that one interested, I usually, I say one, but it's more like two or three. Like after I get off stage that come up to me and they're like, so like everything you set up there, is that really true? Or are you still taking on clients? Like that type of deal. <laughs> uh, so it's, 
it's really funny because it's like, well, you know, like Corona times, you know, I'm like, <laughs> but um, I did, you know, like I have guys that perpetually want to be my sub and they want to like be my in an in-home slave. And I have that all the time. Um, so that's been really interesting. So you say in-house slave, did you say? Yeah, like I had this man who wanted to um, put me up in a nice condo in LA and and live in it with me as my slave and like clean the house. And like, basically, like I was just like telling him what to do 24 hours a day. So I was just like, no, I was like, thank you. I was like, I could really use a place to live. I was just like, but... I was like, that's just a little too much for me. I was like, I need some downtime. Like, I can't just be ordering a man around 24-7. It's get, it gets really frustrating after a while. <laughs> what sort of relationship did you have with teachers when he was in school? Like, did, did like he'd be a bad boy in school, and the teacher's like, you've been a bad boy, young man, you're going for the teaching. And he must have got around by that. <laughs> most men that like to be dominated aren't aren't men that have been put down they're usually in my experience men that are in very high roles where everybody looks to them for things like they are the leader um they are the dominant in their 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 realm so they kind of they want the opposite you know they want to be told what to do they don't want to have to think you know, uh, they just, oh. instead of, they want to please somebody. Oh. <laughs> I know, this is like totally foreign to you. I can see it on your face. You're just like, what? This is, no, I like it. I, 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 with the podcast, I interview anyone and anyone. Like the whole point of the podcast is to, yeah, is to, what I want to do is I want to earn a full living from comedy. And so I want to influence like unique, interesting people, smart people who will help me or whoever's listening make what they love their full-time job. Yeah. So everyone's coming the pod. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the goal, right? To take yeah. things that we love and make money off of it, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, this is... This is awesome, some stories. <laughs> I have stories for days, so. I've really done some very interesting things. How did you, uh, how did you go from doing that into stand-up comedy? And how do you sort of combine the two? Um, well, So I guess it's because I just had a lot to say <laughs> and my perspective on the way that I look at things is a lot different. Like I would consider myself a girl's girl, but I also get irritated and frustrated with women that just can't think for themselves. Do you know what I mean? Like I support you, but I also want to just like smack you across the face because you need to like do better for yourself and for women as a whole. Um, 
So I was just like, I was dealing with this like bravado of like, you know, like being a woman that had a lot to say, but no audience to say it. And so I think comedy is my way to not only like tell things that have happened to me in my life, like both funny and dramatic and bring a different viewpoint to the stage where it's just like most female comics, they talk about like dating or their children, like very, you know, like normal topics or like their pets, like that type of thing. And then I get up there and I'm just like, alpha female i'm like you don't fuck me i fuck you <laughs> <laughs> and that sounds to be good sort of like if anyone tries messing with you just say like listen here like we're gonna in the pub you don't fuck me i fuck you yeah and then i usually pull out my dildo but it's like um <laughs> which gets a huge laugh by the way uh, <laughs> and it's always shocking to the people that are sitting in the first two rows because they're just like, yikes. And I'm like, don't worry, he's a virgin. You know, like he hasn't been used in any play. He's just for show. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, like I just, I have a different way of thinking and you know, it's the way I tell the way I tell my stories and like the way that I craft my jokes that they I'm not a man hater. Like I want to preface that. Like I love men. Um, I just wish men would do better for women. And I think women need to stop playing like this victim role and take more of uh, more hold and more say in like what it is that they want as women. And so I try to showcase that. I try to show that, like, you can be this loud, crazy personality type of person that is, you know, in tune with their sexuality and goes for what they want. And I bring that out in my comedy. And although it might be jarring for some people, at the end of the day, I think there's at least the majority of people that see me in the room, they they agree with something that I said, or they end up liking me at the end of it, even though they're just like, whoa, like, we don't know what to think of her at first. They end up liking me at the end, so. So, because you're, I'm guessing with change is a hard thing, and because you're quite out there, a lot of people are quite scared to be the true self or to express, to be an individual. You know, you get a lot of people that are sheep and they want to be like other people they know, or, they're too scared to express who they truly are. And as a consequence of that, I'm guessing you get a little backlash from people who are like that. Oh, absolutely. Like one of the things I always tell people is that I'm an 11 all day. Like on a scale of one to 10, like I'm 11. Like it's because, A, it's because you can't judge me. And, and second, it's <laughs> I know fabulous. Like I've worked really hard <laughs> to be this fabulous. So I always say that. I always say like, you know, there's this saying that people, um, you know, be a stiletto in a world full of flats. Like, <laughs> I'm a stiletto. Like, I'm a six-inch heel right here. Like, and I will crush you if you say anything other than that. <laughs> Just my thing. I do get a lot of backlash. I get, um, you know, I did a, 
I did a gig two weeks ago where I had this guy, he heckled me like to death. It was bad. And, um, you know, like I usually try to avoid those people because it's like, this is my time. Like I want to do my set. I want to get these jokes off. But this guy was just like constantly, you could tell he was just like a misogynist and like, he just had that aura of little dick energy around him, you know, like, <laughs> like nobody listens at me at home. So I'm just going to be a dickhead when I go out in public. Mm. So I had to shut that man down. I was just like, I, I must have spent at least a good eight minutes just, just shutting this man down, like left and right. I mean, we were at we were at a place and he had a guitar and every time like a comic would tell a joke or they'd start on a story and he just didn't like it he'd play his guitar he'd be like no 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 like and so at, he did that to me the second time i was just like listen sir i was like if you were that great in your fingering skills on your guitar as you were with a woman i said you'd have a chick standing next to you i was like but you don't <laughs> I was like, you got a creepy man with a flute sitting next to you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry for going to your gigs, man. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was so funny. Like, everybody was just having a great time at this poor man's expense. And I just demolished him to the point where he finally just shut up. Like, he was just like, okay, I'm going to listen to this broad because I don't want to get picked on anymore. And then um, after after my set, he came up after me, uh, like came up at me, and I'm like, oh great, like we're just gonna keep going with this. Like he literally thought I was just speaking to him, and the room of other people just don't exist. But um, he came up to me and he thanked me for ripping him a new asshole. He like appreciated it, and I was just like, okay. I was like. First time I had a heckler thank me. <laughs> so mm. I don't know. And I was just like, uh, I was like, is he trying to see if I will offer him some services? I was like, because, yeah, no. <laughs> like, Maybe I think so. I think that's why. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he could afford it. He told me he lived in a van. I was just like, yeah, no. I was like, of course you leave, live in a creepy van outside, sir. Like, why would I think that you own any type of property? I think, I don't think he could probably thank you as well. So maybe it's a good thing that you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, which van? So I can avoid it when I leave the parking lot here. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, you definitely look like a type of guy who has chloroform, like just stowed away for a rainy day. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, it, it's, so it's funny that you mentioned that story because I found sometimes when you're out there and you go out the norms and with people out seeing, is that sometimes it's their own people that attack him. Like Martin Luther King, he wasn't killed by, uh, by another race, he was killed by someone who was, he was, he was fighting for. They're not helping. But, but do you sometimes get a lot of stuff from other women because you're, you're out there? Because that sometimes... Uh, no. 
No, I don't get that. I get women that come up to me or I get the women that like give me the poet snaps, like I'm speaking their language or I get the women that are just like, you know, they don't say much, but they like, I can tell that they're with me because they're listening to everything that I'm saying. Um, I also get the women that, um, that come up to me and go, I love everything that you just said. Cause I was laughing the whole time and I would have never said that out loud. So I kind of, I kind of feel like a lot of my stuff stems from like what a lot of us women have heard, especially like in the bedroom setting with, with men and stuff. And then I try to reverse it. Cause I'm just like, yeah, okay. Like you're going to say this to me. Guess what? <laughs> I'm going to bend you over and call you a dirty little whore <laughs> and you're going to like it. <laughs> or if I don't like what you have to say to me. I'm going to sit on your face because it'll be in a group. <laughs> that's, that's definitely a way of putting people in their place. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I do get it. Like, and and I get a lot from other female comics is that they know, like, I'm the only, like, nobody, nobody's doing the same type of material as I am, you know? Like, they might talk about a little bit about sex stuff, but it's not to the level, and it's not to the perspective where I'm coming from. Okay. Yeah. Well, now, so may I ask sort of some follow-up questions to that? How long have you been doing stand-up for? And like, how did the whole Boston scene work? And how did you, what's your journey in terms of like progressing and coming in and coming over to LA? Yeah, so when I lived in Boston, I did a lot of, um, I did a lot of like private house shows and conventions. And I did a lot of speaking engagements. Um, and it for like you know sexual education and like establishing dominance you know and and really like being a woman coming into your sexuality and like being that it's okay if you like certain things um so i did a lot of that work and then i incorporated comedy and jokes into it um but i've been doing stand-up officially going on three years now in la so i've been in la for three years um, cause everybody back home was like, you're so funny. Like, you just need to go to, like, Boston is not a place to start a comedy career. Um, you know, they were like, people are very uptight here, you know, um, you need to go someplace where it's more liberal and you'll be more well received and more people will see you and there's more comedy clubs. Um, because Boston is only like four comedy clubs. Like, that's it. Oh. So it's really? not, yeah, it's not a big place to start. Like, it's not a jumping off point to start comedy. Oh, because it's a funny thing. Because I remember, like, a lot of the big names, like Louis C.K., Joe Bogan, and a lot of, like, Patrice O'Neill, a lot of big names sort of started over there. Like, Barry yeah. started over there. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of comics have started in Boston. But where they got their gigs in their career is moving to like the big cities, like either LA, Chicago, or New York. That's okay. really where. That's really where you want to start. And then I think now 
uh, Texas might end, end up being a place because of Joe Rogan's club that'll be opening soon because of this whole pandemic thing. Oh, because it's... Uh, okay. Because I've been speaking to a few other American comics and they speak about how each city, like, they've got, there's this one big club that you go to, but you build your set and you do well in these other small clubs. And then when you do well in there, you become a pro and then you move to another city. I mean, I guess, uh, I guess that's how you would do it. Um, I don't know. Comedy has changed over the years. I feel like that was true maybe like 20 years ago, but I don't think it's the case now just because we have so much in terms of like social media and, you know, YouTube and like, you know, Instagram, you know, you get the social influencers. I think that you can make a career just on TikTok these days. And then it, you know, because you have such a large following, these club owners just want butts in the seats. So I think it doesn't necessarily go off of merit anymore. It goes off of ticket sales. Um, because the majority of shows when you first start out is they're all bringer shows it's like how many people can you bring to this show um rather than you know if you're funny or not because i've been in a lot of shows where i'm just like damn like i'm like this person is just like terrible and they'll get up and they'll be like this is only the third time i've done comedy and i'm like really like i have like 500 shows under my belt like can you not take my minutes? <laughs> like, can you go sit a, a sit down in the audience and just participate as an audience member? <laughs> so that's very frustrating for me. Yeah, I think that good does play a part, but also, I mean, like you've got a network, you've got to talk with the right people, and you've got to. Yeah, I mean, when I've seen some comics say that it's just about being funny. I mean, that's not true at all, because I've seen a lot of open micers that are, could be on TV, but due to a lot of other things, they, they're not. And it's, yeah, there's a lot to it. It's, but yeah, to just, when someone says it's just being funny, that, that irritates me. Comedy is a business at the end of the day. Is, are you marketable? You know, um, I've been told by a couple of different people, they're like, oh, like you're really funny. Like people really like your stuff. Like nobody's doing the type of stuff that you're doing. They're like, but you'll never be on daytime TV. And I'm like, well, I'm like, I don't really want to be on daytime TV. Like, <laughs> you know, like that's not my target audience. Like my target audience is the late night crowd. You know, it is the people that want to, to laugh over something that's raunchy rather than something that's politically correct. Um, and I'm okay with that. But finding the, the niche and the way to market that in a positive direction um, has been challenging. You know, I also think that the, the Me Too movement, um, it helped a little bit for female comics. Um, but I also think that it did more harm because now, you know, now there's these female comics that got brought up that I don't think necessarily are that great, but because they're women and more women want to see more women, um, that they're bringing people up that aren't, that aren't going to stand the test of time, you know, like they're, 
I mean, in regards to that, I know this, I mean, when people say that men are, there's some people that are quite sexist to say that men are the only ones, but they, I've heard it from people like audience members that they, they don't think that women are funny, but I mean, I've been in comedy for a while and like, it's just equal. There's just as many really funny women as, as there are men. Yeah, just, absolutely. Yeah, I think a problem that, I think America's better at not being as tick-bockish, boxish as the UK. Really? In, in, in the UK, in terms of not being ready. But there are also quite a number that I see on TV that work that are very good, who I've seen live. But there's a section of them who are quite average, but they go on just to fill a tick spot. But then I see other female comics who are very funny that should be up there, but they're not. And yeah. one of the things I do would find, I think that it's true with Cumbian, which is quite funny. Um, if they were going to put the people that are the funniest on TV and all that, I think the people there would be a lot older most of the time. I mean, there'll be yep. definitely a number of younger, but definitely if it was just based on funny, a lot of the community would be bloody a lot older. Yeah. Uh, comedy, I look at comedy where it should be a diverse range of not only whether it's men, female, you know, uh, gender non-binary people, but also a different variety of colors on the spectrum. You know, like they're, they only have certain token comics for racial groups. I mean, look at, like you have people like um, Aziz, Nazari, you have, and Russell Peters. Those are really like the only two like Indian comics that we really know of. And I know specifically in the LA, like there's, there's at least like five guys that I know could fill that spot that could move up that are really funny. So I just think that comedy is a comedy is a business and it's more so like who you know and how you get to that next level and like how you are marketed. Cause I mean, look at the Joe Rogan crew, you know, you have um, Brian Callen, which I don't know what's gonna happen with him, uh, but you have you have Brendan Schaub, which is a really close friend of Joe Rogan, and he's not a comic. Like, his last special on Showtime was terrible, like, did terrible. But because he's friends with Joe Rogan and, like, knows that crew, and because he has that platform from MMA, he can get people to come to his shows. Like, is he seen as a true comic for people? No. Like, he's not. Even Joey Diaz is like, you suck, dude. Like, I'm not going to, you know, like, you suck. Like, you need to, you need to hire somebody to write your jokes. Like, because your, your jokes are trash. <laughs> like, I, I, I do want to see Joey Diaz, though. Like, seeing him talk in podcasts, he's bloody hilarious. I really, he's one comedian that I really want to see live. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I ran into him one night at the comedy store. Um, me and my buddies, we used to have a ongoing podcast every Sunday night at the comedy store. So I would run into Joey Diaz when he would come through. I've run into Jeff Ross, um, uh, Tony Hinchcliffe. I mean, he hit on me several times and I was just like, just get away from me, Tony. Uh, <laughs> Brian Callen, like, 
the whole crew, like I've I've run into a lot of comics, Dave Chappelle, you know, I've run into a lot of people just hanging out at the store and like knowing people at the store. You know, and then a lot of comics come through at the late night shows to try out their shit. Cause there's like, you know, there's a handful of folks there at like the the 12 o'clock or the one o'clock show at the store. So there'll be like five or six people and usually they're tanked drunk. They're just trying to sober up before they drive home. Um, but those are one, like the big game people come in just to try their shit out because it's like you can get five or six people to laugh at a joke. You know, it's a good one at that time. So I don't know. It comedy store is another place where it's, it's very high school, you know, like the bookers are very high school. Like, you know, you got to know somebody to, to get on there and it's not really based off of merit because all of the shows are taped at these comedy clubs. Like the bookers look through all the tapes. So if you're on a no name show, it's still taped and they're looking at it because um, I would, I, I, I've done a lot of sets at the ice house and comedy store and people are like, Hey, like you're doing really good. Like keep at it. Like I've gotten that type of feedback. Um, so it, that's positive, but it's also like, Hey, can you fucking give me a spot? Like, can you give me some minutes? <laughs> hmm. I'm guessing from what you say there, that, that you're, have you heard of the term a Sigma individual? Like someone that's a bit, someone that's an individual, but, they're a character. They're not someone that follows the norms. Like in the, are you saying with the hierarchy, you have someone like who's at the top, but they, they're very sort of fit in the click and a mold. But then you have a sigma male who, who has a similar sort of power, but he, he like a nomad, like James Bond. He has high status. Yeah, I definitely think I'm that. Um, because right now, the way that things have, the, before COVID, they only had on these major shows maybe two slots for women. Two slots. So, of course, those two slots are given to people that are, you know, friends of whoever's putting the show on or are big name people, you know. So the the people that are, you know, not as well known like myself and some of the other really funny ladies that come into the comedy store that are there every week performing or doing something at the comedy store, whether it's like a podcast or a show or whatever. Um, I think it's harder for us to kind of get those, those women out of those slots because you can even be in booked in a show. And like, this happened to me once I was booked in a show and I got bumped because Whitney Cummings came through and Ooh. I was just, Okay. Oh, that's, yeah. That, I, that, I feel is a bit iffy. It's like they, she once started at your level, not from her, but for them to do that, not from Whitney Cummings, because I see them. She seems all right. But I mean, oh, that's very brutal. And it's a bit, oof, I don't know what to say about it. Well, I was just like, okay, like I, I get it. Um, but it's like, I already have people that are here to see me. <laughs> Like, what do I tell those people? Oh, sorry, somebody like, you know, that has their name on the wall is bumping me out of my spot, you know? And then I was just like, well, can I say hi to her? Like, can I at least be like, hey, like, 
you owe me a spot on your show, like, because <laughs> you're taking mine tonight. Um, you know, so it's like that whole thing. And it's, it, uh, again, at the store, it was like, if people are working on material for a special, you know, they could get on. They could get on and do some minutes at whatever show that they wanted. It was just like that they were coming through. Um, so that's, that's, you know, that's tough. You know, it's also tough being told by men that like, they really like, they really like your comedy, but you probably should tone it down. And it's just like, well, I don't tell you that your joke really sucks or that your premise is terrible. And maybe you should, you know, try to incorporate more female friendly jokes into your set, you know, cause that's basically what I, you know, I have had a couple of people say like, Ooh, like, mm, you know, it's just like, ah, I really don't care what you think. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do. So one of, I'm guessing from what you're saying there, one of your main aims is to have your own sort of audience, your main, main sort of thing, so you don't have to depend on people. Okay, so you I, I have, I've, converted, I've converted the unconvertible for people. Like, I have had those prudes sit in the front row and not laugh an entire show. And I've riffed off of them. And then at the end of the show, they say, you were very funny. We really enjoyed your show. And I'm like, you didn't even laugh. Like, you didn't crack a smile. Like, I'm so confused. <laughs> like, But they've come up after the show and appreciated it. And I've gotten so many people that I've run into public. Like, you know, like, I, I have the stage, you know, persona and presence. But after the show, like, I'm very humble. Like, I really do appreciate everybody that comes up to me or has the nerve to come up to me and say that they like my show or they didn't like my show. Like whatever it is, like I just appreciate some kind of feedback from the audience, whether it's good or negative, you know, um, because that that takes a lot of balls to to go up to somebody that was on stage, you know, like to be like, hey, you know, good job. Or, you know, I have also gotten those people that were like, you were the funniest chick. And it's like, well, there was only two of us. So that's not really a compliment. <laughs> like, why do you have to? throw my gender into the thing like why can't I just be the funniest comic why do I have to be the funniest chick like I don't know that that really bothers me because I'm just kind of like if you're funny you're funny shouldn't matter you know it shouldn't matter what your gender is like funny is funny anywhere you know jokes will translate anywhere if if the material is funny enough it will be funny everywhere but there may be a I've spoken to a comedian called Eddie Yu. So he's in, he, he was originally in Portland. Because of the pandemic, he moved into Taipei. And so what he does, like when he makes certain jokes, like suppose he's making a joke on the transport. Like in LA, they got terrible transport with a train or whatever. He would just reference the, the train in that area. Yeah, you know, well... That makes sense because that's a specific joke towards a specific thing. But I think universal ideas where it's like, you know, marriage, kids, sex, love, you know, um, things that are happening in the world to all of us will translate everywhere. You know, like pandemic jokes. I feel like I feel like they were necessary at a certain point. But now, like people are just like, we don't want to hear them anymore. Like, 
you know, like, it's just like, yeah, like we're, we're like so spent over this whole like pandemic and quarantine shit. Like we just want something else to like be happy about or to laugh about. Yeah, I think, yeah, no, I feel the same as well. I think it's getting a bit more Tiger King jokes. <laughs> oh yeah. I, f- I feel like the Tiger King jokes went out like a while ago though. Although Halloween, there were a lot of people that dressed up as Tiger King. And I was just like, dude, that was like so three months ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> get with the times here. <laughs> I think one of the things like, no. Yeah, from what you said there, I think, so one of your, if I was to ask you, one of the things that you're aiming to do in comedy is... If you if you were given today like you what you wanted from comedy, I think what you would like is just to have your own audience to do your own style of comedy and you'd be happy. Yes. My my goal in comedy is to shatter the glass ceiling. I, you know, I feel like there have been a couple of female comics that have done really good at my type of comedy, but nothing close to mine where I feel like they went just safe. They were safe, but didn't go, didn't take it to the next step. Like didn't take it to the next level. Like they still kept it commercial. Whereas like, I would just like to be that person that comes out and be like, this is fucking who I am. I don't give a fuck. And I'm just gonna tell you my my perspective of things. And I know that people will respond in a plethora of ways. But I'm okay with it. Like, I look at it like any attention is good attention at this point. Like, I really don't care about the backlash or the haters because you're going to have those wherever you go. And I think that anytime that you're in, you're in a, a career field where, you know, like your money, your purse is based off of if people like you enough, like people start to tend to worry about that. Like they worry about if people like them and, you know, that type of thing. Whereas it's like, I don't really care if people like, like me. I just want them to laugh at me. I think in terms of that, it's better for your mental, better for yourself to have that attitude. But if you worry too much if other comedians like you, oh, there's a quote from that actually that I'm learning. If you, if you worry too much of people like you or their approval, you're their prison. Because they can say like, oh, I want you to like me. I want you to see me as a good person. But they can always twist or say, I thought you were this or that. And then they'll get you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always been, I think for the longest time, I don't know if it was just like how I was raised or what, or that I had like, you know, a really good father in my life that was like, you're beautiful. You're amazing. You know, like you could do anything you want, you know? And he was like, you don't need a man for nothing or whatever. And uh, <laughs> my dad was always like showing us stuff. Like he's like, this is how you fix a tire, or change oil. So you don't have to rely on anybody to do it. Like that type of thing. I've always just been a take charge person. Whereas I feel like I've kind of been conditioned for this type of stuff since I was younger to just be like, be secure who you are and, and what you do and know who you are that, you know, if people don't like you, 
fuck them. Like that's their bad. Like, cause you're pretty awesome. So why wouldn't they like you? So that's kind of how I, I look at it in terms of comedy and people I've, I've gotten fans that have come up to me and they're like, you're so funny, but you're like, you offended me at some point. And I was just like, well, I was like, I was like, I guess I'm doing my job then. (laughs) (laughs) And now they come to all of my shows in that region. Like every show that I have in that, that area of California, they come to everyone, everyone. So it's, one thing what you do would probably be really liked on the UK and in the UK we have a variety comedy scene. Is there much of that in like Boston or LA? Do you do because I think those sort of gigs are better than like golden nuggets? No, and there's not they're, okay, so when they put out shows here, like it's usually like a theme show. Like if it's a like, I think the most variety show I've ever been on was one that was like for Pride Week, and it was like you know it was drag queens and like you know LGBTQ folks that came out. So I got lumped into with them, and I was just like, oh, thank you. Like I took it as a compliment, but my friend is like, oh, you know you got put on that show because you're just like so crazy, right? And I was like, whatever. I was like, it's it's minutes like it's an audience it doesn't matter to me um but i think i i wish we had more of those types of types of things and i have been told uh by a couple of uh so i don't know if you know melvin kakuza he melvin kakuza he's like he's like the top comic in um what's that fucking country hold on let me think. Um, oh my God, I'm blanking right now. I'll look him up. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking up because we're, he came, he came to the state and he's like a big name in Holland. That's where he's from. He's, he's like the only, he's like the Dave Chappelle of Holland, right? And uh, he came to LA and he was, he's friends with one of my girlfriends and we were doing a show together. He came to support the show or whatever. And he was doing, uh, he was doing episodes cause he has like his own um, reality show in Holland. So he came to our show and he was like, Hey, can I, could I get some minutes? And I, I was the show runner. So I was like, sure. I didn't know who this guy was. I was just like, oh, he's another comic. He's here. I'll give him some minutes. Like, I have enough time. I can squeeze him in. And um, he did. And then he ended up filming. So he ended up being on his reality show. And then I invited him to the comedy store to come on our podcast. Because I was just like, this is great. Like, this would be great, like, international press. But um, he told me that I should come to Holland. He's like, cause he's like, you'll do really good there. And uh, I was like, okay. I was like, do they speak English? Like, can it, can my, I was like, do I have to have a translator? He's like, most people speak English. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. But he told me that I should go to like the UK and stuff. Um, he's like, cause you know, it's, I guess like kink and like BDSM are big out there. You know, like you guys have like 
clubs and stuff that is more like not like heavily regulated or underground like we are. Yeah, there, if you, uh, trust me, if you come to the UK or Australia, there's a lot more sort of cabaret comedy shows that would absolutely love you. And also, um, I'm going to be doing a couple of podcasts with comedians who are doing their own sort of hour shows where they travel in different places. And cool. yeah, when the Edinburgh Fringe is going, I, I reckon you have to go there because I think you would ace that, get all sorts of awards for that. Well, let me know. Um, you know, I'm not doing anything. Unemployment has been, you know, <laughs> off here. <laughs> Uh, I've been living on the unemployment train since March. Uh, you know, I've been doing, you know, gigs and stuff on the side, but like, it's, it, I haven't really wanted to go back to work, you know, with everything, the way things have been, you know, and then we had the riots with the Black Lives Matter movement out here in LA, which a lot of places had been bordered up. Hmm. It's... And when it, when it comes to politics or anything like that, I run a mile away because there's always, it's always like, I, I, I don't want to get, you know, in things like sports teams or like religion or what's it called, politics, I stay away from it because I don't want to, people who, who hate them just because of those things. And I don't want to get into an argument with someone just because, because of that, because that doesn't mean anything. It matters how you are as a person. People don't see that. I don't try to, I, I stay, stay away from that. Yeah, the only time that I really talk about that is if it, you know, like, if it's to emphasize a joke, you know, like I did tell a, I did say something about Trump that like, you know, <laughs> I wish I was Stormy Daniels. I had like this bit that I like, wish I was Stormy Daniels so I could like show him what a real good time was, you know, <laughs> like, uh because when he was she was talking about how he had like his magazine he was showing her like he was on the cover of the magazine and all that but it was you know it was a good bit like even people that were trump supporters laughed because it wasn't that i was saying that he's like a terrible president which he is um i was mostly just like making fun of that instance and what i would have done if i had been stormy daniels (laughs) it's yeah. <laughs> Send me a clip. I want to see that. <laughs> All right. I'll try to find it for you. <laughs> now, one, one question I want to ask you is a little bit. There's two questions I want to ask. I want to ask how do you sort of develop your material? How is it different to like a regular stand up? And also, how does the sort of how does the structure of the LA sort of comedy scene in terms of progressing? You said a bit of it about like, depending on who you suck up to, but other than that. Well, um, so when I first came out to LA do comedy, you know, I was kind of not, oh, I mean like anybody who starts doing comedy, like you got a couple of jokes and like people are like, oh yeah, you're, you're funny you know, but you need some work, you know, and you kind of get, you you have to have like a good way of creating jokes and doing a misdirection of jokes. So I was very fortunate where I had a comedy mentor um, that's been doing comedy for almost 40 years. Uh, His name is Greg Dean. Um, And 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I, Greg Dean has been a comedy mentor of mine. And when I walked in the room, he had no idea uh, that he would never get to know my real name. <laughs> <laughs> and that the stuff that I was saying and and he told me like right off the bat he was like no one's doing the type of comedy you're doing he's like and I've been doing this for a long time he's like I've worked with some of the greats he's like so if this is like if this is who you are as a comic then you have to really come out strong and you have to like perfect your jokes to the point where people can't argue, like people can't argue whether or not you're funny. They could argue about the content of your joke, but they can't argue with the laugh of the joke. So he really helped me take like my, my idea of like these, like these feminists and like alpha female role of ideas and create said jokes based off of my stories and he really helped me um put structure in how to craft a really good joke so it was like i had all of the i had a had all the material i needed it was just i needed someone to sit there and kind of tweak and show me how to put that material into a sequence that was relatable but also was something that an audience could handle because there was a lot of stuff that would just come out my mouth and he'd be like whoa he's like i fucking love that but he's like you don't want to offend the audience right off the gate he's like so you want to give the audience a chance to like you first before you shock them you know and say that you know get them on your side then you can say all the shocking shit that you want because they already like you and uh, that was kind of like an eye-opening experience. So it was just like, oh, okay. So instead of starting with that joke, I should put it somewhere in the middle and then end with like the stinger. You know, it's like get them to like you and then like piss them off and then, you know, really hit them with a good laugh at the end. So um, learning that was monumental in terms of how my, my, my progress in stand-up has been. And um, I really thank him for that. And, you know, we stayed in touch and, you know, he's been helping me like put together things and, you know, I've been putting together a special for like the longest time because I just keep adding new jokes and taking old ones out. So I don't know, um, that helped like tremendously. And then also being around other comics that were like family in the sense where they just wanted to see you succeed and do good. You know, like we all, we created, I created this little network of like buddies of mine in comedy where, you know, we all try to be each other's cheerleaders, like show up to each other's shows, you know, good, give good feedback and feedback in the sense where you're not saying, Hey, that joke really sucked. Or I didn't like that joke. You say, hey, the joke that you had about this, you know, if you change the premises and the tag around, that joke is really funnier, you know, or that joke could really hit harder, you know. Um, and then it's all about, you know, your audience. Like, I know, like, in LA, I can do more risque material. But if I go to, like, San Clemente, where it's, like, all, like, 
rich older white people who like support Trump like you know just those jokes don't really hit as much as they do in LA so you gotta read your audience and kind of know in the area that you're in you know like some of the like what you were saying about the subway joke it's like I can't do really do subway jokes in LA even though I'm from Boston and like you know we have subways there it's more like doing jokes about like the bar that you're at or, you know, like, or comparing a shitty area of town. Or I know the most laughs in San Clemente that I get or when like I tell jokes about how shitty LA is and then vice versa. Like when I go to LA, I go, man, these people on the coastline, I don't know what it is. If it's just too much sun frying their brain, but like they're all voting for Trump and like, or, or some things like making fun of those suburb type of people as opposed to like the city dwellers so it's like knowing your audience knowing your area um if i'm doing a room that's predominantly all men hi can you hear me now yeah i can hear you now and i missed virtually all of what you just said oh great um sorry about that we have like these our internet connection is in like this plastic fake rock in our complex and the kids outside, they just like love to like fuck around with the wires. So sometimes our internet just goes out and it's crazy because we pay like the most money for the most optimal speed because uh, my roommate, she's on the computer all day long in Zoom meetings. So we need like the fastest connection, but sometimes it just sucks. Um, where, where, did, where did you hear me leave off? Because then I can tell you the rest. Oh, you getting? Let me have a think here. What we? T- I remember you talking about Greg D about him being a comedy mentor about how you're doing this and that. Then you started going into your techniques a little bit about you know like you got yeah finding your community of people that support each other like comedy cheerleaders. Yeah. So uh, my group of people, like we're, we all want the same thing. Like we all want to succeed in comedy. Like for, for the group of us, it's our ultimate goal to become these like, you know, working comedians. I say working comedians because I just want to be a working comedian where I'm like consistently getting paid for gigs. Whereas like their goal might be to be famous or whatever. I just want to, I just want to like be working like, and have like gigs on gigs on gigs and getting paid. Um, You know, as far as like TV and all that goes, like that would be great. But I feel like if I can just earn a steady paycheck, that's kind of what I'm looking at for right now. Um, But anyways, like we're very supportive in the sense where we go to each other's shows, but we also, we do writing sessions and we'll sit there and give feedback so we don't use opinions. We're not like, oh, I really liked your set. Because that's opinion-based. And opinions are like assholes, as we know. Everybody has one. So it doesn't really <laughs> help us <laughs> in comedy. So it's like, okay, you like this joke, but give us feedback. Like, what was good about this joke? What needed work? You know, if the, you know, the tag should really be the tagline like the tag should be the punch or the the punch should be the tag you know like the premise 
and the, the punch should be switched, you know, or you can go in a different direction to, you know, to take the audience on a different ride where they don't think you're going with that joke is where you're going. Um, so we give like critical feedback in terms of how to rearrange jokes and make jokes better. And that has been huge because <clears throat> I'm a, I'm the only female in my little clique, my little community of like supportive people. So I'm kind of like the female perspective on their jokes. Whereas like I can say, well, as a woman, like this offends me this way, you know, um, but I could see if I was this type of woman, it wouldn't, you know, or whatever. And then they can, they have their own, you know, personal opinions about me telling jokes as a man that they give me their feedback. So I can kind of like, you know, I can use that as a, the sounding board or jumping board for like how to use that material. And then, you know, like jokes based off of where you're doing a gig, you know, like if I'm in LA, I can tell jokes about the people that live on the coast and in the suburbs, you know, and how like stuck up and uptight they are and stupid. And then like when I'm in the, like the suburbs, I can tell them about people that are city dwellers and how they're so crazy in LA, you know, and I'm a product of my environment type of deal. So um, it's just knowing that and reading a room, you know, if I'm in a room full of men, you know, I'm, I'm going to go light on like, you know, my feminist stuff. Like I'm going to go light. I'm going to tread light on that. You know, if I'm in a woman, like a woman predominant room, fuck yeah, I'm going to go balls deep in that bitch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of comedians that can't do that. There's a lot of comedians I know that can't or won't do that. But I see a lot of comedians, they just do their material and if it's not working, they still just do the material. Boom, set's finished. No adapting, no changing. Boom, I die on my ass, but I just have to go through my material. Boom, done. Yeah, no, but that's like, that's the work. That's the work as a comedian is knowing your audience. That's the number one thing is knowing your audience. You know, if you've got a, if you've got a crowd that's like predominantly, you know, a race of people, you're not going to say those jokes to offend them, you know, or you're going to bring them into your set. Like if you've got something that say about them like to get on their side at first you know and then you can you know do your material like people just like the audience needs to connect to the comedian yeah uh, yeah it's a funny thing that i've commented a lot on but yeah, yeah it's one of those things <laughs> if if people do that then it makes it easier for you if you don't do it so you can't yeah <laughs> yeah, and if you've got somebody that's heckling you and you don't acknowledge that person and you just let them talk throughout your set, like not only does it ruin the show for you, but it ruins the show for the people that are actually listening because they want you to tell that person to shut up. Yeah. Now, one thing I want to follow on because it must be quite intriguing, move, having lived a lot of your life in two different states. And I want to get into sort of how does the humor differ in Boston and LA? And we'll look at also um, what's the other things I'm going to look at? Yeah, one of the things I want to ask you it's funny, 
I've done this interview just about half an hour before I start my my gig. <laughs> Last gig before lockdown. So is that, and the two other questions I want to ask you, like, what advice would you give to younger self, and what is a quote you'd like to leave your life by? Okay. Um, so the first question, in terms of humor between the two places, uh, who are you fighting? Are you fighting somebody? No, no, no. What's it called? Because the gig started. Uh, the host of the evening is here <laughs> as we're talking. Hello, Andy. Hi. <laughs> um, in terms of humor, like people in Boston, like you can get away with non-politically correct stuff. Like okay. you can say that because they're more like people in Boston are more honest. They're more oh. raunchy. They're more like, um, I don't know. They just, they're, they're more raw with stuff. You know, like people have a thicker skin in Boston Whereas like LA people are like, oh my God, you used the wrong pronoun. Like they're very, <laughs> you know, like oh, that offends me. Oh my God, that poor little puppy. Like, why did it have to die? Like they're very, like LA is more politically correct. You know, they're more people, LA is a town full of fakes and phonies. You know what I mean? Like people look at you in the face. Oh yeah, I fucking love you. Let's hang out. And then you never hear from them ever again. <laughs> so maybe that's one of the reasons why Boston has created a lot of good comics because in Boston, I mean, may, this may be an opinion from an outsider, but one of the things maybe it's got the best university in America and it's got a lot of, the, the character of Boston is, as you say, quite raw, and that makes more Boston people. And with people more raw and honest, it's easy to be funny. Yeah, people are, I mean, people are assholes in Boston, really. Like, it, it, it's because we're a product of our environment. I mean, we have really shitty weather, you know, um, we have a ton of debt because, like, we have all these colleges. So we're very learned people. But, um, you know, we're woke in the sense where because we learn, you know, we know things that like we're just like we're not bothered by these little like these little like inconsistencies. We can still take a joke, you know. Um, and I think like comedy does so well in Boston because everything sucks there. So when you can make fun of something that sucks, you know, it makes people laugh even harder. Whereas in L.A., you know, everything is sunny and it's California and I live on the beach and everything's amazing. You know, it's like <laughs> there's not too much stuff that sucks out in here in L.A., you know, so it's you've got to come from a perspective of something different, you know, and you can only talk about L.A. traffic for so much before that doesn't get any more laughs. What, what you said to me, though, is you basically said that people in L.A. are bored. <laughs> Um, they're fake. I, I will say that people in LA are more about being flashy and all being similar, you know, rather than being someone like me who kind of, I mean, I stand out. I, I go to the own beat of my own drum. Whereas like most people in California, you know, they like, they want to be 
groups, you know, they, they want to wear the same thing, drive the same thing, live in the nice same area, you know, and then you get those artist eclectic people types, which are so fucking far out there that like everybody in their crew is so far, far out there. So it's like, you have that too. You have people that are always very similar. And then you have those artistic people that are always like, just spatially like fucking out there that, that it's, it's a weird hodgepodge of things here in California, but people have different, like, you know, I feel like everybody in, in LA has like their own like political stance on things. Either they're like super liberal about everything. Like they're like, Oh my God, don't drink with the plastic straw. It's killing the turtles, you know? And, and it's like, well, you know, okay, well, the turtles, like I need to not get lipstick on my glass, you know? <laughs> like, fuck them. <laughs> what, the like, what the fuck did the turtles ever do for me? Like, fuck them. <laughs> they live to 120. Like, do we really need them? Like, come on. <laughs> One thing I want to say, so from your experience as a whole, what's being these in states of what advice would you give to your younger self? <clears throat> Probably not spend that $80,000 on my nursing degree <laughs> that I'm not using. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, don't go to college. Like, you, you're not going to need it. <laughs> That's probably what I'd tell my younger self. Uh, I, have three, I have three college degrees and I'm not currently using any of them. So I could have saved myself a ton of money. What, what is a quote that you like to live your life by? Mm. It's by Eleanor Roosevelt. And uh, it's to be oh shit i'm gonna fuck it up anyway she has this quote where basically it's like don't dull your sparkle for anybody that's but that's the crux of it but she says it more profoundly <laughs> one thing i want to ask you thank you very much for appearing on the podcast and no thank you i'm so sorry about the other time i literally just my alarm didn't go off and I was like, what the fuck? I'm usually up this time. No, it's all good. It's all good because I was a bit worried as well. I, I, I fell asleep too. <laughs> so <laughs> you did. <laughs> but everything works out, you know, it's it's and the thing is, yeah, it's been great having you on. And the only thing I want to say to you, do you anything you want to plug? Um, well, I do have a all-female show coming up this Thursday. Uh, the show is called The Future is Female. And it's it, literally, like, if I had to pick, like, my top favorite female comics that I know in California, like, all of these women, they're savages. Like, savages. Like, they're just so oh. funny and talented. Um, so I'm going to be doing a monthly show with all women. And we might, might 
give a token spot to a token male comic, but they've got to try really hard, you know, like I <laughs> gotta try really hard. Uh, turning the tables on the men comics. <laughs> yeah. I'll come all the way from London to there. Is that is that hard enough work? <laughs> yes, I would I would love it. I would love it. Um, I also have a, a show on YouTube. It's called The Closet. And um, it's a variety talk show. We talk about everything and we play like really stupid, like adult games. Uh, like we had like penis ring toss one time. Um, <laughs> I like my ultra conservative, like family guy put like a condom on a fake dick. Like it was just, it's just so ridiculous. I've had like circus performers on my show, like pull fat people in chairs with their ears. Like we even like stapled fake cocks on this guy. Like it was just, yeah. my, show, my show is ridiculous. It really is. Um, so this, all my, all my shows were taped uh, prior to COVID. So uh, now I'm like doing a different format for it on YouTube. Uh, so it's like, you know, COVID safe for my guests. And, um, you know, I would love to have you on now that we have the capabilities of doing Zoom and stuff. You know, I get the, get the UK perspective. Maybe we could play some trivia. Sure. That sounds good. I'd love to be on. Just let me yeah. Know. Yeah. For sure. I love that you have had gloves on this entire time. Like, I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, it was, it was just because so um, it was just uh, I came in. Normally, I do the, the, the podcast at home, but because it was uh, where well, I do the gigs and I'm traveling, I thought, cover myself off. And yeah. Do you guys have the, the microphone condoms? The microphone condoms? I don't know what they're, no, what they're, they? they're like little hair nets that go over like the top of the microphone. Do you have that, Andy? <laughs> no, not quite. No. <laughs> well, they're definitely worth a, a, an Amazon purchase. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Uh, it's so much easier than like Clark's wipe bleach whatever you're using or people bringing their own microphones <clears throat> well could you send me a link in the message and I'll have a look. <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll look for it i'll send it to you uh, i'm pretty sure it's not labeled as microphone condoms <laughs> it's probably got some kind of technical term <laughs> It's, uh, uh, look and see what comes up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you want to tell anybody if they they want to buy any uh, sex toys, they can go on my website, <laughs> buy some sex toys. <laughs> um, it's Athena's hn.com slash sixty eighteen. It's on all. It's on my social media. If you go on the gram, it's at Mistress K five. Okay, so Andy, did you hear that? <laughs> yes, if you want to buy, Andy, if you want to buy the big honking dildo that I bring on stage with me, uh, Tyrone, Tyrone, he's for sale. <laughs> and, and the details are for Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you the link as well. 
Right, well, thank you very much. And I just want to say take care, Christine. Thank you so much. Have a good time. And uh, hopefully you kill it tonight. And, you know, be safe. Let's see what happens. All right. <laughs> I'll send you the link for the condoms. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> So that's been Mistress K. You can see that she is an absolute comic genius and someone you will never forget. Uh, hope you've enjoyed it and I'll see you in the next episode.